0: Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone, back with more Best Ball Mania content for you today. Uh, I'm excited to have Eric for on the podcast. Eric joined me last year on the podcast, and you know, we tried to big brain some stuff talking about Best Ball Mania too, and I'm excited to review what happened a little bit in terms of some of the ideas that we had and where we might have gone wrong, You know, where we might have gone right, and how we're going to adjust that to this year's contest, which is a little bit different, uh, make sure you check out Establish the Edge on uh, the iTunes podcast. You can also find it on YouTube at the Establish the Run channel. And Eric, you can find his work over at spikeweek.com. Eric does everything best ball, including very impressive 100% advance rate in the NHL best ball streets. <laughs> thanks thanks for hopping on, Eric.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. I was thinking about this morning, um, that show, that episode that we did last year and like trying to think back to some of the the conversation and it's just so crazy how far this space has come in 12 months or whatever not not even i don't even remember exactly when we recorded that but it is wild i mean i, I think last year we thought you know having crowning 2 millionaires total across all of best ball was pretty crazy. And now one tournament is going to have three of them. <laughs> one, <laughs> one individual tournament is going to have three millionaires. So um, with that being said, I think there's, like you said, it's very different this year, which is like really important. That's maybe one of my biggest takeaways that we'll get into later is how different this year is than, than last year. And then um, really just assessing what our opponents are doing, which we talked quite a bit about also Last year, structurally, player takes, all that kind of stuff and like being more cognizant of, um, you know, the natural, bi- like we all make mistakes. I have biases and, and just like everybody else does. And at the top of what I'm sure we're going to get into is one that I had last year that failed about as spectacularly as you can <laughs> as you can possibly fail. But trying to learn from all that uh, for this year
0: yeah and even though it is a different contest i think like on a high level how we're approaching the tournaments carries over and then we can get into some of the nuances of how um it does change going you know to such you know the finals like three you know triple the size basically of last year which is a big deal uh the, the one you're referencing the mistake we made last year we were very heavy on the rookie quarterbacks particularly trey lance and Man, on, on one end, I'm looking at my teams and I did I did have a pretty good advance rate on my teams despite this. So there's part of me <laughs> that goes, if it would have worked, things would have gone really well. Uh, yep. There's a part of me that with the rookie quarterbacks, I think there was a point at which, I mean, the, the hot dog costume guy, like we're looking for who did this. The ADPs got so crazy on Trey Lance and what, I wouldn't say so crazy, but they got much more efficient over the summer. And I, you know, instead of being like, okay, I should stop drafting Trey Lance now, I was like, well, I just got to draft him earlier. And right. for for me, that was kind of where the mistake was. Where at the quarterback position, I do think it's hard to find guys that have legitimate, you know, top eight upside that can you know beat out some of these solidified names and that that are being drafted outside the top fifteen quarterbacks. So I do think taking swings on guys that potentially fit that mold makes a ton of sense but then when you start drafting you know someone whose playing time is uncertain as QB11 off the board the risk reward you know just it it didn't it probably didn't add up it, you know it yeah. just got a little little take locked on Lance for myself at least
1: i, I think that's the lesson is not to we don't want to draft trade lance i actually don't have like any regrets at all about about like making him a, a target and even like a priority for portions of of the summer because of exactly what you said. I mean, shoot, even like in the back end of the top 10, the quarterbacks that were drafting, like you just can't find that up. It goes away so fast at the quarterback position now. It's to me, it's by far the most efficient, like a most efficiently drafted area of the market now is like we're just so good at the quarterback thing, right? Um, and it's yeah. so much more projectable like because you can project a quarterback. You're basically projecting an offense, like um, almost. Like how good is this offense going to be? We have lots of data on how good the offense is going to be, whether it be you know just the last hand, handful of years with the Chiefs and stuff for many years, with coaches, and then obviously those individual players. And it's just so much easier to project. And then you obviously have the rushing thing, which adds the ceiling element um, for a lot of these guys. And so it's just so efficient that when you get – because of him being a rookie, because of uncertainty or whatever, you get Trey Lance, Justin Fields, even the the other rookies, like you mentioned, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, guys that, like, I don't know what the actual range, you know, what, what the real probabilities were on, you know, them being top five quarterbacks, but it was in the range. And that's just what we get with the with, with the uncertainty, Trey Lance, especially. However, to your point, that's good. Like I want to still target those guys, and I'm going to do it again this year, and 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 next year, and 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 so on. I want to find Josh Allen before he's the QB one. I want to find Lamar Jackson before he's an MVP. But there is, like you said, I mean, Lance was like, <laughs> like seven, early seventh round, like sometimes like late sixth round, going you know ahead of like Dak Prescott and and Russell I'm Wilson, with- and it, it got pretty out of control. And so that that is the lesson I think is. We can we can take a step back and pump the brakes once we reach a certain point where it's probably the the like you said the risk outweighs um, the reward.
0: But as of right now, we can we can martingale Trey Lance. Yeah, exactly. His ADP is, is lower than it was yeah. last season. And we we have well I, I've got more QB stuff later I don't want to get too far into it but um, we do have the market kind of at, at ETR at least overvaluing a lot of the mid tier quarterbacks and the mm-hmm. one that we have them not overvaluing is Trey Lance so I know it's crazy we'll, we'll be back um, as far as you know more structural stuff we hit on a few things in the podcast last year one of which was you know, when you were drafting your teams I remember you were you were distinctly committed to going half early and half late and in general i think you and i both have a mindset of uh the 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 mantra of uh loose convictions like tight or or strong 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 convictions loosely held and because and you and you i like the way that you committed to doing that strategy because i think you learn from it better and you do eke out the potential reward better um, even if you don't believe in it to the extent that you're sort of experimenting with. Um, and so I am curious as to how you felt that worked out for you and if you're adjusting that for this year.
1: Yeah, that was that, that's, a hot, that's always a hot button issue. People love the when when do you draft uh, a thing. And, and <clears throat> to your point, I, I think the biggest thing was, like you said, committing to something. Almost, it's, it's an experiment essentially, right? And we only get to do this thing once a year. And so one summer you get to do one like draft strategy, you know, not from a structural perspective, but from when to draft. So could you commit to all late, commit to all late for that summer, kind of see how it goes. Not even just from a results perspective. Um, And that that was the big thing for me was I learned so much about just the market. I think, I think everybody did last year, uh, particularly once we reached a certain, certain uh, you know, crazy part part of the off season with the wide receiver stuff, but you know, learning how these markets shift learning um, and then seeing it play out right with the can makers thing with the Michael Thomas stuff. And like, we kind of got, we're not going to get all those elements every single summer, but being able to feel that out, like in real time, uh, and having drafted teams that were dead with Cam Akers. And then also having drafted 25% Daryl Henderson. And you're like, oh man, you know, I oh, have a lot of, of super, super teams, right? Um, other people, James Robinson or whatever. We thought it was Marquez Callaway for a minute. And then he he got steamed worse than, than Trey Lance did. But going through that experience, I think, is important for everybody to kind of set out an experiment and do it. I know Herzig, you know, Justin Herzig, you're um co-worker did like one in one of the tournaments did auto was auto drafting you know setting rankings and auto drafting and i think he said he didn't really uh he won't do that again but it was an experiment to see okay how are these teams going to turn out and for me from that experiment with the barbell thing i feel i I probably feel stronger about it even than i did last year because you're it's like this natural portfolio like uh Differentiator, you know, like t- uh, once I I like, like Cam makers thing that it's an easy example. Like I said, we may not get that every year, but like that happened, and it's like okay, I got my whatever Daryl Henderson. I wasn't going to draft him anymore, and and you know I know we talk about that as a potential strategy type thing too, but like all these things play out over the course of the summer, guys m- rise and fall. Right? Why was I targeting Trey Lance in the first place? To our original example, because he was going in like the fourteenth round when Best Ball Mania Two opened last year. And then watching him go all the way up to the late sixth round, it's like I should have probably realized that in real time that that was a mistake. But you see it now, after having gone through you know 150 teams over over four four months, and and so I also think the the last thing is site by site, it's very different. I think underdog, the market got so efficient already this year in Best Ball Mania Three. Like a handful of days, and all the sharks came in and like snatched up all the value really fast and made it pretty efficient versus maybe say some other sites where that's not the case. And then we also have other tournaments that are going to drop in the middle where you can kind of deploy different strategies or maybe if there's a player you want to target in that, right? The puppy's out right now in underdog. So um, figuring all that out like is, is hard, but I think you just kind of have to to experience it for an entire summer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a long summer. I feel like Best Ball has been going on for a while now and it's June 1st. We've got June... <laughs> July uh, I mean we've got three full months uh, uh to go here and that that affects things differently than say the, the puppy on underdog which you know could fill in, in over a week it did at times yep. last year um for me some of the takeaways I had we we went into last year no and, and you spoke to this about okay we gotta know what our opponents are doing and I think it was like the hyper fragile running back strategy we were talking about a lot going into it that people, might lean on that too much because of the previous year's data. And it it was an interesting way it worked. It ended up spinning out is that the hyperfragile stuff worked fairly well, but not because of the huge quantity at wide receiver. Um, And Mm. that was something we sort of saw coming, which is the wide receiver ADPs are all, at least on underdog, getting pushed up you know, your, your, 10th wide receiver isn't as strong as it was the year prior. And we did see no. that with, with the advance rates that 10 wide receiver teams really didn't do that well, despite hyper fragile doing well, even though those two strategies are somewhat correlated. Um, I think it was different for other sites again, like FFPC, when I play on, I mean, you, you get wide receivers towards the end of those drafts. And part of that's because of the tight end premium stuff, but you get wide receivers. You're like, wow, I'm, I'm drafting like a starting wide receiver in round 15 and that's, you know, not happening on underdog um the uh, so that, that wasn't really a mistake or anything i made it just kind of interesting that worked out how we thought it would play out yeah. um for me a mistake i i do like the draft as if you're right mindset but i feel like i might have and i'm glad i experimented with it but i think i pushed it a little too far at times especially at the onesie positions where man i'm a greedy drafter eric i'm greedy with getting value on my stacks i'm greedy with everything because i'm trying to build these super teams and sometimes when you're doing that it can be hard to find the edge of like okay when do you need to maybe just be a little bit more robust at the position just to make this team last a little longer and maybe you aren't hurting Mm -hmm. your upside as much as possible but i took some two qb teams that should have been three qb teams same thing with tight end especially because i think the tight end and qb adp the other facet was because everybody was doing this there were better values at the very end of draft where instead of taking that 10th wide receiver that was shitty now because everyone's drafting a ton of wide receivers (laughs) and everyone wants to draft two at the onesie positions. It's like, Oh, I can get a starting tight end in round 17. Maybe, maybe I just should just do that.
1: Yeah. I I love that point because I think it's, um, you kind of mentioned like you just got a little too attached to, to like those hard and fast rules that we know, like at a high level, like, honestly, like probably two, ignoring everything you said about kind of the, the market with late round wide receivers, et cetera, like probably two, four, ten two or like two, six, eight, two is like somewhere between, and, and maybe a two, five, nine, two, whatever, somewhere in that, you know, little pocket there of, of, uh, structures is like where we want to live, right? We know the benefits of only spending two picks on those two onesie positions. <clears throat> we know the benefits, like you said, of, a robust running back structure and getting making up for it through volume, et cetera. We know zero running back, right? We know all of those things, but then you get to the ends of the actual drafts, particularly after the market has really kind of like soaked up all the value, which happened last year. Like, like crazy. My favorite example, I always talk about um, referencing that is at wide receiver last year. So two years ago, actually. And I think we talked about this Cole Beasley, was the starting slot receiver for the Buffalo Bills, one of the best offenses in the NFL, and you know caught 100 balls or whatever it was. Going in the 17th round, Cole Beasley actually himself didn't get like boosted up a ton, but everybody got moved up three, four, five rounds at wide receiver. So now, last year, it was like you got to the 18th round, you wanted that 10th wide receiver. It was like the fourth wide receiver on the Jaguars. That you're yeah. that you're drafting. You know, like I'm I mean I specifically had like fifteen percent Colin Johnson. Not in, not even like intentionally, it was just we
0: there's you got nothing there. Left.
1: There there's absolutely nothing nothing left. And so knowing that is like so, so important. And so to your point, you can do a couple different things. You can push QB and or tight end down the road, knowing like look in the 17th round, I'm getting, you know, I don't know. Austin Hooper or whatever is there in the 17th round is going to get me points. I, I don't even know if my 17th round wide receiver is going to make the team. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it, it's like, it's such a stark difference between the positions. And so um, just being fluid with that in drafts, right. Ideally I would have me, Kyler Murray and whatever, uh, you know, uh, Trey Lance, like give me those guys and give me Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or whatever. But if, if you're, 14th through 18th round picks are all guys that like may never even touch the field this year at the other positions you're you're probably being a little too rigid around what you wanted to go in as structurally
0: yeah absolutely and that leads us into you know where maybe some of the analysis is lacking or not good um i've seen some stuff out there that i think I think a couple things, I think people kind of go in two different directions that can both be wrong at times in terms of analysis. One is being too rigid with what worked the year prior and not taking into account the player context. So we have a couple articles up on ETR and one is sort of that rigid analysis. And we try to caveat it that like, Hey, this is this is pretty rigid analysis. We think we can learn from this, but mm-hmm. learning from it is different than Mimicking it exactly without critical thought, and then Jack Miller did another piece for us that put it all that in context of okay, well, well how did the players do? And, and the one last year was, you know, early running backs did really well and hitting wide receivers in the dead zone did really well, and some of those were make sense because like, oh yeah, somewhat hyper fragile and avoiding the running back dead zone, but a lot of it honestly just came down to the round two wide receivers stunk and the round two running backs went ham and. Drafting two running backs early, and then the the running back dead zone was like even worse than maybe we could have anticipated. Yeah. And you know, so so yeah, that worked. Of course that worked. And this yeah. year I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. If anything, I, I kind of like flipping it. Um, but you so you need to acknowledge the context. I think that's one. And then I think there's people who are like, well, because of the context, they just kind of ignore it completely and they get like these huge huge galaxy brain ideas that um and, and a lot of the galaxy brain ideas do come down to the fact that the playoff weeks themselves are soup like the expected value in the playoffs is like 98 percent of your total expected value and it's finding that balance between okay the playoffs in terms of leverage are like a million times more important than the regular season but how, how predictable, like how much can we control yeah. that though? Just because we know that doesn't mean we can, you know, force ourselves into necessarily having it. So you're trying to find that balance. So um, I ramp it a little bit. I'll throw it over to you. Any takes on, on that yes. stuff or analysis you've seen?
1: The playoff thing is, is so fascinating. And I think it, it's, it's eventually maybe if this thing like grows too big, I know Jeremy um, from underdog, I actually mentioned they don't think they want to do anything larger from a field size um tournament which i think is probably good because that like week 17 and playoff thing is like an incredible like thought experiment and an awesome like strategy element that I, i i sure as shit don't have the answers i'm trying to find them and i'm trying to find different strategies around it that i think can work but it's such a unique format and and structure of a contest that to your point, we know like we know all the value is in uh, almost all the values, even just in the final week. But there's three steps, four steps. Like if you even like include the draft, you have to you have to be a decent enough drafter at the time when you're you're drafting. And then you gotta win that league. And then you gotta win a really, really, really good league of other league winners. And then you gotta do that again. <laughs> just to reach this point. It's it's you know, it's point one percent, it's the top point one percent teams making this final round. And so We know all the value is there, but 99.9% of your teams have no shot of making that that final round. So how do you balance those things? And like I said, I don't have the answers, but I think that's the most fun part. And to your point about kind of some of the, the rigid analysis, I generally land a lot more times on the like pushing back on that solely not because I don't think it's good or we should look at it, but solely because I think our space gets really to and i see it all the time like you know i'm in discords we have a discord at spike week and i see someone jack hayden right tj hernandez you all these smart people out there doing this analysis will post this stuff and someone will say look gotta draft the running back in the second round (laughs) yeah you know and it's like to your point let's take a step back and like think about what this data is is really meaning and sometimes it does mean like maybe we should stay away from Whatever, some something because of the historical data, and sometimes it's just describing how last year went, and we should try to apply that to to this year's year's drafts. And I I totally agree. I think this year's very different from from last year. And we did a, an exercise. Silas Jackson, who writes for us, wrote an article about like re like reverse engineering what would have been like the perfect team last year specifically for best ball mania. So it's not just ne- not 100% maximizing regular season points. And it's not just maximizing week 17, but finding mm-hmm. that, that hybrid. Um, and so there was just some interesting takeaways, like to your point, well, Austin Eckler and Jonathan Taylor crushed. Uh, and so did Devonte Adams and their ADPs fell in line perfectly <laughs> together last year, whether it be once almost any point, you could have taken Eckler JT Devonte JT Whatever that kind of combination, Cooper Cup was there in the third round. Jamar Chase was there in the fourth round. Mark Andrews was there in the fifth, or Josh Allen in the fifth. So it was like everything just fell together perfectly for for that. So naturally, in the data, that's what we see. We see there's a couple yeah. of players that drove all of that. Right? You want an early tight end? Why? Because Mark Andrews blew away the field in the fifth in the fifth sixth round. And so, but how do we take that and apply it to this year and and this player pool? And I think that's that's the most fun part and obviously the most helpful part too.
0: Yeah. And also the analysis, I think that like, you need to compare to the field. I kind of felt bad. Hayden had a tweet that was kind of innocent. I think a bunch of people responded back to him. And then I did a couple <laughs> days later. <laughs> but it was basically that in the best ball media to the finalists, it was something like 80% of them drafted a running back in rounds one or two. Um, but then when you compared it to the field, the field overall drafted running back like 84 percent of the time in rounds <laughs> one or two so it was like it was essentially like completely neutral like this is what we should expect to see dude there was right. another one with, with game stacking too where it was like mm. well actually if you if you look at just random distribution of players you're going to end up with like x percent of game stacks so I right. definitely want to do that comparison um and speaking to game stacks i mean looking at this year's tournament A few things to address. Again, triple the field size in the final. Super top heavy. We've also got a grand prize that's regular season. That is, you know, initially I kind of was like, oh, you know, happy accident if that happens. But you start thinking more. It's like, well, that's 10% of the prize pool. Um, And yeah, even though that seems like a lottery, well, winning the playoffs is a lottery too. Yeah, right. So there's all these different things. As far as game stacking uniqueness, you know, things that you can do that you think increase the edge of this tournament because of the way it's structured, like anything that sticks out to you that you're trying right now?
1: Yeah, the thing that people probably get sick of me talking about every time I do a show or, or, or anything is that week 17. And I think um, coming from the, the DFS background, I think, you know, you and, and ETR people and like kind of where we come from, it just is a natural fit where, okay, we we just talked about how we identified that like all the expected value is in this week, all the money is in this week. It's very top heavy and all these teams are going to be really freaking good. Right? So it's like showing up to the Thunderdome on DraftKings, except it's huge. But it's all the best player, like it's all the best DFS players on, on the planet. So you have no edge, right? Like, a, like a, from a skill perspective, you have, you have no edge and you need to finish, you know, in the top 3% of the top 0.01% just to make any money. It's like, it's like dumbfounding to start to think about how hard it is. And so like, what are some of the levers that we try to pull from a DFS perspective every week, right? You have like projection, you obviously have leverage from an ownership and stuff. Well, I can't really leverage any ownership because I don't know. It's, that like you said, we have three more months to draft, nonetheless get to week 17 uh yeah. in the regular season. So some of those things, and even from a projection perspective, I can kind of pull a little bit of projection just from a, a high level. But again, for week 17, I don't know. Rashad Penny projected better than most first-round running backs did by the time we got to week 17 last year. Right. So again, it's not necessarily something I can I can pull, but what I can pull in every single draft is the cor- is a correlation lever, right? I know I can inherently correlate week 17 in every single draft that I want to do. That doesn't mean I'm only going after Bills Bengals or whatever, right? The the sexy games. I can correlate the gross games too. You know, people probably thought Seattle and Detroit yeah. was really gross. And that was the absolute league winner game. There was 80 or 70 points, 80 points, whatever, a million points in that in that game and two of the biggest league winners and even in DFS that week. Stacks of that game won, despite Jamar Chase having, you know, seven million fantasy points. So that's like, that's been my, my big thing is when I'm deciding, like, as I build out my team, right. I'm not, I'm not going into it with, I'm going to stack this game, but like, okay, first round I get Justin Jefferson and, you know, I keep moving on down and then it's the, you know, maybe it's the second round and I'll choose Aaron Jones over Leonard Fournette because they play in week 17 or I keep on moving down, right. Moving down. The 11th round, a wide receiver fits my build. It's like, okay, I'm going to take Alan Lazard or Christian Watson or whatever over, or I need a tight end. I'm going to take Robert Tunyon over a very similarly projected player at, at their, at their position. And just doing all of that, like, um, you know, leaning on week 17, kind of as my tiebreaker and, and, you know, kind of structure guider. Like it's, it just makes too much sense to me because it's really the only lever I can pull. Um, And if I do it effectively over 150 teams, I'm not really giving up anything. Because like I said, I'm not, I'm not like foregoing projection. I'm not foregoing structure. I'm not doing any of that. All I'm doing is like breaking ties with having as many correlations as I can. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's a bigger game stack. And sometimes it's like, just give me Trey Lance to George Kittle with like Hunter Renfro and a bunch of secondary correlations. Because then I can try to find. Right. I just get that one thing goes right for me in week 17. Trey Lance throws two touchdowns to George Kittle and I get that that game stack. And I give me as many shots at finding Rashad Penny and Amon Ra St. Brown. Right. Uh, Give me as many shots of finding Jamar Chase and Daryl Williams and those little combinations that fit. And it just reduces the amount of things that I have to get right by like such a substantial margin that um, I think it's really important.
0: Yeah, it's it's fun to do too. And to your point, yeah. you can do it without giving up the value. Like I'm a value hound. I'm drafting greedy. I want the correlations, <laughs> but I want them, you know, after ADP. And Damn. I'd almost rather have a team. I had a team where I took Mahomes just <laughs> fell a lot. And I took Mahomes and I I got sniped on Sky More because I refused to take him like too early. I got sniped yep. on MVS. I just refused to take him to her. Then I was like, am I going to take Chase Claypool or McColl Hardman? I'm like, I'm not fucking taking McColl Hardman over Chase. <laughs> and 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 <laughs> I have this team that's, it's a single stack basically with Justin Ross and yep. Patrick Mops, but I, I'd rather have a couple of those teams with some teams that, you know, are correlated plus really good value. And now we've got kind of, okay, good advance rate, but like also set up for week 17, and to your point, it doesn't have to be, you know, mega onslaught of your main quarterback. Um, I had another one I took, you know, one that I just did last night. I took Lamar late. I love Lamar, you know, at his ADP right now. I took him past ADP, wasn't able to stack him. But I got Chase Claypool, like, right at ADP. So it's a 1-1. And then, like, oh, I took Amon Ra around after ADP. I took DJ Chark around after ADP. Let me grab Jared Goff and Vilas Jones with my last two picks. Yep. <laughs> you know, I've got... Um, and then that team just worked out as like digs, Gabriel Davis. I took Tyler Boyd, who I, I like really yep. am not taking at ADP, but it was like, it's a good way to diversify your, your overall exposures too in a natural way. We're like, okay, here's a guy I'm really not drafting much, but, um, it's at ADP. It's a wide receiver that fits my structure and it's correlated. Like not now's the time to grab a little bit of that.
1: That's, that's one of my favorite parts too, because, We have another people always have the other debate about, though, should you diversify or should you take a stand? And at the end of the day, that's kind of a bunch of nonsense, really. And it's up to each person. But doing that help, like breaking those ties. Right. Like I'm not really taking Tyler Boyd either. I'm not really taking like the Patriots wide receivers for an example like I I, no one goes in like oh yeah I'm gonna make Kendrick Bourne my highest zone wide receiver you know like nobody's excited to draft Kendrick Bourne but I don't know I took Tyreek Hill you know maybe I have a Tyreek and Tua stack and nothing you know is uh, has worked out for me yet it's like there's all kinds of Patriots available who's to say that you know whatever wandale robinson is better than kendrick Bourne, i you know and i like him but I, on the teams that it makes sense to take kendrick when i'm going to take kendrick Bourne. and on the teams that it makes sense to take wandale i took jt and i don't have a, a wider seat you know i need a wider receiver here i'm just going to take wandale and so i found it helps me with like getting take locked on, on to guys and um i i do prefer to take a little bit of stands on on players but this is a way for me to like keep it in check, right? I I don't particularly want, you know, 85% of, of anybody. And this is just like the easiest way for me to, to balance out the portfolio while also like still doing something else that helps, right? I'm not just diversifying yeah. to diversify, but I'm doing something else that um, is improving my teams.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the whole, you know, portfolio approach, which is personal preference. I think my edge is in a lot of the systemic stuff. So I like having diversified player exposures just because i'm kind of like i don't want to ruin my edge by being overly exposed on a micro take that i'm wrong on and there's there's nuances there i'll still be you know heavier on some players than others of course there are other people who you know the guy who won last year liam was saying you know if you're extremely heavy on one player and that player hits now you've got a bunch of team you're more likely to run into like a unique silver bullet because you've just advanced teams at such a high rate and you've got so many different combinations with this player. And it's kind of personal preference. It's the same thing I tell people in DFS that are MME yep. for the week with 150. If you want to lock a player, it, there's nothing wrong with that. I I actually, in DFS, when I MME, it's usually, I don't MME often. It's usually when I have a strong take and I'm like mm-hmm. literally building 150 lineups around that take, or I'm not MME, which is different than my you know season-long approach. So it's, it's largely personal preference i know it's hard I for think- us to rank stuff now too i don't know if you found this oh. with bike week rankings but it, it's hard for me because people are like oh i'm never getting russ wilson and i'm like well you can still you know if you get we like judy and sudden it's just kind of the way that the points are distributed if, if you like Russ, you can still take them correlated around ahead of adp or you know around ahead where we have them yep. but like i almost feel compelled to have the rankings a little tired of adp just because the people that are building 150 do kind of seem to like really want to be diversified it's
1: it's like the hardest it's like the hardest part i i hadn't put together like real serious and like been super serious about putting rankings and those kinds of things together until late last like late last year and then obviously this year and it is like the hardest it's the hardest thing to do because like we got to this we're you know halfway through this podcast or whatever and we never really talked about do you like this player better than this player, yeah. right? Because it's it's so low on the priority list in terms of how I'm drafting my teams. Obviously, you know, you have a, a general, you know, idea. Like you said, you're higher on Lamar than uh, than he is at uh, his you know market ADP. We all have that. But at the end of the day, same thing. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably not higher than the market on Russ Wilson, so I wouldn't probably, like, I'm going to get more Trey Lance than I'm going to get Russ yeah. Wilson. Doesn't mean I don't want Bronco stacks. As a matter of fact, I want plenty of Bronco stacks, but I may not on a top 250 or whatever, it may not look like I want to take the Broncos, but I actually do. And so, like you said, it's trying to balance sticking to ADP with kind of the general black, you know, binary black and white. Do I like this player or this player better is, is the most, the most difficult part. The one thing I was going to say, I think this is why I, uh, the DFS thing is definitely why I lean a little bit more to stance. I'm, I'm not, I'm not Liam. I'm not taking 80% of Gabe Davis or whatever. But I get I get that approach, because that's exactly how I like, I'm not an MME player. But if I do it, it's like, there's one thing. Yeah, I feel I feel passionately about this one thing. And I really don't give a shit about the rest. So I I remember, I think we both being non MME guys, typically MME the same week with the exact same plan. (laughs) And it was Josh Allen and the Bills against the the Jets. Yeah. And I think it it was like Crowder was out. And so it was like, you basically had Mim, Denzel Mims and Braxton Berrios and like whatever, whatever run. This was before Michael Carter. This is two years ago, I think. So it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, some Ty Johnson or some dusty running back that like all the Jets were Frank Gore, baby, Frank Gore. It was (laughs) Frank Gore. You're right. Uh, And he got hurt, I think. And so it was like, I'm like, the Bills are going to score a hundred. And one of these guys have to get there. So like, I'm just gonna play 150 bill sticks. and I think the finishing score was like 19 to three or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, It was the, they kicked like four field goals or something. It was
0: their worst <laughs> game of the year, but um,
1: yeah, I that, zero. That, I catch zero teams out of one out of 150 in the Millie maker.
0: And then that sort of thing too is like, okay, my IG's on this stack. So then like, I'm making sure I'm diversified on like maybe even the chalk, like other pieces, right. because I want to hit, I want to win if I hit my stack. So this is yep. best kind of like, I want to win if I hit my structure. When I ask you about uniqueness, this comes up because that's the other aspect mm. of DFS you mentioned. We don't know the ownership, but I've seen some stuff from Hayden. I was talking to Peter Overset that, you know, based on where the ADPs line up on guys, there are players that are drafted together more frequently than other players. Again, I'm greedy. I'm a value hound. So I've been sort of against this. But at what point are you deviating from ADP to get a unique player combination? And does that change for you based on time of year? Because I know for me, I'm struggling with doing it right now because I know the ADPs are going to change so much. Whereas in August when they're set, I feel like I'd be more apt to do it because it's just more teams are going to be drafted then. And it's like, it's very clear who's going to be lined up with who.
1: 100% then um, that's like specific to best ball mania, right? If you're drafting in the puppy right now, which is like you said earlier, might fill in a week, um, which is crazy. You can, and, and I like to experiment with that in that. That's the nice thing about this new crazy best ball space is we get these tournaments that drop right into a small pocket of time throughout the summer. Um, so like the puppy is just going to be this late May, early June time pocket. And we'll look back probably like you said in august september when the adp gets really efficient and there's really only so far anybody can move outside of an injury uh and we'll look back at some of the stuff right now like it was ridiculous you know somebody is going somewhere that is like two rounds off of where they'll be going later or more when we get an injury and so to that point i'm not doing much of it in best ball mania and like the DraftKings um tournaments because i i I, I couldn't agree more I, i i'm I feel like I'm decent at understanding who's going to rise and who's going to fall and all that. I think that's a skill. If you just if you do this for a living, hopefully you should be able to uh, analyze it a little bit better, maybe than the average person. And so I think I have an idea, but I also don't, I also want to be like humble about that. You know, I could be wrong. And now I just forced a, what's not a unique, um, you know, combination of players, and I didn't gain anything else from it you know? Right. And so I probably lost, like you said, projection. I take X player in a, tif- in a, in a totally different tier to X player. Like, I don't know um, if you have, you know, you take CD lamb over Devonte Adams to try to get CD and AJ Brown or whatever, because you're not really going to get that, that combination. It's like, if I have Devonte Adams and just a whole different tier than CD lamb, I'm, I'm hurting myself. And I don't know. CD Lamb could get steamed up to the late first. And the next thing you know, that's not even really uh, a unique combination. I do like to do it a little bit now, like basically in the 18th round. And so not from a player combination perspective, but just players that are not getting drafted right now, I think is the yeah. best way to do it. And like ones that make sense on your team. Right. So you mentioned um, earlier, who was it that you had a, a you know, backdoor, Stack of uh, some I like uh,
0: Tylen Wallace is my my yeah, random yeah. Baltimore because Baltimore can be hard to stack because it's literally Andrews and Bateman if you miss them,
1: right? Uh, 49ers are actually fairly similar, so like Lance goes after every skill player, and so I don't, I don't, I don't want to have like, so, like sometimes maybe Lance will fall or whatever, and so I'll be like, ah, I'm locked out a quarterback, he's very clearly a tear break. For me personally, and I'm like, I well, I just didn't get Debo or Kittle or Ayuk. Well, guess what? Danny Gray, welcome to the welcome to the team in the in the 18th round, and he's not getting drafted all, you know, in all these. So he inherently is going to have lower, you know, a lower ownership just because he's only going in 15% of these early drafts. So I think we can pull that lever a little bit at the end, but I'm not forcing it um, early in Best Ball Mania specifically because I just. I don't want to pretend like I know exactly all the combinations of, of ownership. Yeah. It's not, it's not DFS where like, I don't know, I can accurately project within a uh, a standard deviation. I can't, I don't think I can do that here. So I'm not even going to worry about it. I will, to your point though, later a hundred percent, you know, I like when, doing when it 75% later. of teams have been drafted. I think I'll have a pretty good idea of which combinations are unique. So um, it's a good thing for late.
0: Yeah. I like doing it later. I know Herzig said kind of the, Same thing as far as time of year. He's not doing it later now because he's, you know, like the cut risk on someone like some of these guys is really high. Yeah. But then, you know, come August, if they do win the job, they might not end up super like they might be drafted in round 16 to 18 Mm -hmm. consistently. And then it's like, to your point where it's like, okay, you took this huge risk when like these people drafting in August could just take that player in round 17 without the risk. And yeah um but i'm balancing that i still am doing it once in a while i've done the danny gray thing um before okay so as far as like last thing just a little bit more micro stuff as far as this year like perceived edges that you have right now like whether it's like structure player you know positional things like anything that you're seeing that you know you feel strongly about right now
1: well i don't want to make this another uh Lucy with the football season of Trey Lance, but I would be remiss if I didn't uh, bring him up for the second year in a row uh, of, of us talking, but I really do believe that like his ADP is egregious. And we talked about the quarterback thing. It is so efficient, right? I agree. I like Lamar at his cost. I like Kyler at his cost, but we're talking like half a round, right? It's not really yeah. that, that different. I think Trey Lance is priced like, you know, like just the wrong tier. Uh, in terms of where he should be going. And we just don't get the opportunity to find that upside at his cost. Like it just really doesn't happen anymore. And so um, he is, I am trying to take him. I do also think he's going to rise. Same thing as last year. People like there's, it's just the uncertainty thing right now, right. With Jimmy still being on the team. Once we get more and more information, once we see him practicing more, which he's already doing, he's only going to go up. He's not going to fall. So um, that's, that's one. My, my big thing, I was curious about your, your take on this too, because, Um, you know, as a noted running back hater, I, I have found myself taking some early running backs, but it's like, it's like this pocket at like the two, three turn. And so it's unbelievable. Like I like that range, like better even than the early running backs, or at least like similar, right? Like Aaron Jones, Leonard Fournette, even like Nick Chubb. Um, what, who am I missing? Javante. I love, you know, I love Kamara. Camara, Saquon, (laughs) uh, there's there's just like all these guys that I don't know. They could be first round picks. Why is Joe Mixon uh, a round and a half better than Saquon Barkley? You know, and so there's those guys, which then in turn allow me to get the superstar wide receiver. Or if you want Travis Kelsey or or Mark Andrews in the second or whatever, it allows me um, like just a ton of flexibility knowing that that pocket of the draft exists. So I've actually been drafting those guys um like as you know anchor running backs or if you want to go hyper fragile i like a like kind of mix it up take a justin jefferson and then hammer two of those running backs there as opposed to people love to force their strategy out of the gate and i like to kind of do the opposite like let it flow and see what happens if it turns into a zero running back team that's fine if it turns into a hyper fragile team that's fine but um thinking about those like who's available and what round and all that kind of stuff, that pocket really stood out to me uh, and has stood out to me, you know, already for a month since the contest been open.
0: Yeah. You absolutely have to be flexible. I think to, to eke out the best value Um, even though we're aware of structure, like, you know, we can, based on where our capital, it's just like constantly a teeter totter. Like you can (laughs) play it that way. And uh, your dog agrees with me clearly but to your, my favorite strategy is similar to what you said. So last year, running back, running back wide receiver, wide receiver starts worked really well. I kind of like this same start, but flipped wide receiver, wide receiver, running back, running back to your point. I don't know how long these running backs are going to last around three. I don't think it's going to last all off season. Like it's already started to stop a little bit. Like Aaron Jones uh, I was screaming as like the best buy out there. And now I'm looking at our rankings and we have like him behind ADP. <laughs> like like his ADP is 18 now. You know, it was like late round three at one point. It's already switched so much. And same thing with Saquon to an extent. He was, we st- we're still ahead of ADP on him, but um, there's also... God, I like JK Dobbins. I feel like, like, I don't know if that much has changed from last year and he's like two, three rounds cheaper. So if I can start, you know, Jamar chase and, um, you know, another strong wide receiver in round two, and then get, you know, Saquon and Dobbins. I feel like I'm basically doing the structures that worked last year, except even better because I think the wide receiver talent matters more than the running back talent. So it's like, to me, I feel like I'm netting even on the running backs that you drafted in one and two last year, and uh, I'm just banking better wide receivers.
1: Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. It's so, it's so strange, and I've been trying to kind of theorize on why why that is because I'm the same way, all, like all, that entire tier from, you know, like you said, Aaron Jones has been like the one that's gotten steamed quite a... Damn dogs. They <laughs> They oh, always something, but they're there is that pocket where um, like you said in years past we had the running back dead zone thing right but if if everyone believes that the running back dead zone is a is like a thing and the market mo- like changes the cost on guys that aren't necessarily running back dead zone actual right saquon barkley is not a dead zone running back I'm sorry to tell you he's not he was going like 102 two or three years ago or whatever you know like this guy has caught almost 100 balls in a season his rookie season this guy is not a dead zone running back I mean JK Dobbins probably isn't a dead zone a dead zone running back and so when they start to go in that dead zone and people still avoid them because of kind of what we talked about earlier like the historical data on running backs in the fourth round, like you can't take them. Well, let me know when Saquon Barkley was ever available in <laughs> you know, in the late third, fourth round or whatever. It's just, it's just crazy. And so those are some of the, the elements that I really want to take. Like there's tons of different pockets of drafts and understanding um, the nuances of, of all that. And that's, that's really all I've been doing. I don't think I have like super rigid player takes specifically, probably other than Trey Lance so far, but, learning all the different pockets of the draft how like how when can you stack the 49ers right how does a draft have to play out what pick do i have to have do i need to take george kittle at four eight or can i push him to five seven because sometimes he's falling right understanding all of that different stuff um just takes practice but um I think it's, it's maybe like the most important thing. Like you can do all the player research and, you know, advanced rate research and structural research all you want. But if you don't know like how to construct the team when you actually get into the draft and you don't know your preference, like you said, like I would just rather start with uh, Jamar chase and uh, AJ Brown and still yeah. get superstar running backs. Right. You know, but if you don't know that and you just hop in and you're like, okay, give me Derek Henry and give me Joe Mixon. Like, you know, that, that, and I'm not saying those guys are wrong, but, you know, if you have the same belief that you do, you, you're probably good at structure and you might even be good at player picks, but you don't understand the market that you're drafting. In.
0: Yeah. But very last thing I want to ask about is, you know, quarterback and touchdown a little bit with Lance, but man, it seems like the elite quarterbacks now they're elite in such a predictable fashion because the way offenses operate, you know, you've either got teams like Tampa Bay and Kansas City, they're gonna score a ton and they have such a high pass rate over expectation that the game script doesn't matter. They're gonna be efficient and those quarterbacks are gonna be great. Or you have quarterbacks like Kyler and Lamar who are just gonna do so much um rushing, passing all of it that like they're they're not going to, you know, it's not like when Matt Ryan was QB two overall because he happened to throw a little bit more and had a hugely efficient season. Like those things don't happen anymore. So there's you know, there's just very few like um, you know like I like two of this year but two is not gonna have this outlier season that busts into the top five quarter like it just it almost physically can't happen and then when I translate that to weekly scores and even think of the week 17 stuff I'm like you know if Lamar puts up 32. You could have five fucking mid-tier quarterbacks. You're not gonna none of, none of them are gonna get thirty-two. They can't. They fit. Phys- you said,
1: it's a physical limitation.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a there's a cap. Seat. Whereas, like, I don't know, I could have three crappy wide receivers and one of them might score twenty-six. So, like, to me, I've really been emphasizing the elite quarterback. And like, some of me thinks like, okay, like probability-wise, like those three crappy wide receivers probably aren't gonna match that one wide receiver and maybe i'm getting hung up on like the 99th percentile outcome which is the quarterback can't be matched and the wide receiver could but i find myself really like with the exception of when i can get lance late like lance is almost my backstop because Mm -hmm. i I want at least one quarterback prior to that
1: Uh, I'm, i'm very very similar and i think what it really kind of like uh Emphasizes for me is a, it, <clears throat> not even just specifically with with the quarterback. They're just the easiest ones to identify. But like other than the understanding, right? Understanding that those things that Lance is your backstop and understanding um, how to manipulate your draft. It's like I think best ball again. Go to the rankings thing. It's hard to rank players because what I I would classify every player as like an archetype. Like Trey Lance is an archetype of a quarterback, and that's what we're talking about here. Like why can't Tua do? What Lamar Jackson, because his archetype physically does not have that, it, <laughs> it does not exist, right? it Theoretically, Lamar Jackson could s- score like nine touchdowns in a game with multiple rushing and passing just because of the archetype that he is, right? So that's the ceiling to your point. But so then grouping the other player archetypes together and I think um, certain of those archetypes all mesh well together, right? So like understanding when I have that elite, quarterback and I'm maybe foregoing Gabriel Davis or or Jerry Judy or somebody like that who definitely has a ceiling that does not exist in your 15th round wide receivers but then okay what what kind of I don't want to take Devontae Parker then on on that team right I want to take an archetype that does have that Amon Ross St. Brown right and and it could be that he may not be sexy Right, I don't know. Maybe you don't like Valus Jones or Danny Gray or whatever. People, you know, people shat on Jahan Dotson. Uh, you know, he was the first round rookie wide receiver that nobody wanted. But there's just those a uh, contingent value running backs. Then right, mm-hmm. like okay, so maybe I need a I for maybe I instead of wide receiver, I was like ah, now I'm pretty weak at running back. Well, don't take James White, right? Because he just doesn't. Same thing. He's an archetype that just cannot do what Rashad Penny did. It doesn't matter. Nothing Nothing can happen to make James White uh, be Rashad Penny of last year. Same thing, Devontae Parker can't be Amon Ross St. Brown or Justin Jefferson from two years ago. So, like, knowing how to mix and match those archetypes, right? There can be a place for James White on teams. There can be a place for Devontae yeah. Parker on teams. But being able to mix and match the right stylistic players together is how you can effectively – target elite, elite quarterbacks and not lose out on that upside late in the year.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Thanks so much for joining me, Eric. Uh, Why don't you tell the people about what you got going on over at Spike Week?
1: Yeah, very, very excited. Um, Up until now, everything has been like completely 100% free. Um, You brought up the rankings. We have rankings for every single site. I do a top 250. Um, People just like to have the overall ranking set, but I do positional tiers, um, which is something that has really helped. Me um, in some of the things that we talked about, um, so I don't even like really look at a you know who I have twelfth overall versus fifteenth overall. I'm looking at each each position and making sure to put those players into tiers. I'm actually trying to work on uh, adding some archetype type stuff to my rankings to help with some of the issues that we talked about here nice. as well, and and just tons and tons and tons of content. We're on YouTube every single weekday. And tons of strategy stuff um, coming out. And we're working on some tools, which I think everybody in the community, I've teased them a little bit on on Twitter in terms of managing your exposures and all that different stuff. We're working on some tools, which I don't have a, a set. I was hoping, you know, to have a set date uh, that we're going to be launching that. I don't have a confirmed date, but it's, it's coming very, very, very soon. Um, so people should be able to test out some, some some fun, new, hopefully innovative best ball tools here pretty shortly at, at spikeweek.com.
0: Awesome. Exciting stuff. Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast on iTunes, make sure you give us a like, review us. Same thing if you're watching on the Estousher on YouTube channel, subscribe. Helps us to keep doing podcasts like this for free. Thanks for tuning in. Best of luck in Best Ball Mania 3, everybody.